printmakers, full stop, just don't want to stop talking about their work. I have learned everything I know from printmakers. They're the ones who have, you know, helped me. friends, and welcome. This is a bilingual podcast, so if you subscribe to us, you'll be getting episodes in English with me, as well as in Spanish with Ronaldo Gil Zambrano. Together, we speak with people about their practice and passions in the field of print media and multiples. This episode of Hello Print Friend is brought to you by Speedball Art Products. Speedball is thrilled to announce that they are extending their range of beloved oil-based block printing ink. Partnering with Hello Print Friend host, Ronaldo Gil Zambrano, they're going to give this line a fresh new look. They've launched 10 rich color options in convenient 8-ounce cans. The ink is formulated to be permanent, waterproof, and archival, but provides easy cleanup with vegetable oil. Now available for purchase through Speedball's website. This episode is also brought to you by Legion Paper. Legion is a fine art paper company representing the best papers in the world. They either stock it, source it, or make it. With brands like Stonehenge, Somerset, Coventry, Reeves, Arches, and more, Legion is the best paper resource for every artist's and printmaker's needs. Learn more about the variety of papers Legion stocks at www.legionpaper.com. My guest this week is Karen Revis. We talk about how, at 62, Karen is in the most productive and joyful period of her artistic journey. Through coming to understand her process deeply, inviting in the muses, and knowing when to take a break. We also talk about moving from abstract to figurative art mid-career, knowing when a gallery is right for you, and so much more. Hi Karen, how's it going? Oh, it's going well. How are you, Miranda? I'm really good. I'm so excited for our conversation. I feel like... We did a lot of back and forth, finding times. We're both busy people in the art world, and it's worked. And I know. I'm glad that you were so persistent, truly. Yeah. truly. <laughs> that is the, the key to a successful podcast. If you okay. really want to talk to someone, just a little loving nudge over and over until they say yes. <laughs> Good, yes. And you didn't take it personally, so that was great. I'm glad you persevered. Yeah, never, never. I, I definitely understand that. We live in a time in which artists, and particularly artists doing interesting things like yourself, they are being asked a lot of things. They're being pulled in a lot of directions. And so it's just until someone says absolutely not, I'm just going to keep being (laughs) a friendly little bumblebee buzzing around. (laughs) So I would love for you to introduce yourself. And I have like, the three questions that I ask all my guests is a way of introduction, which is just answering who you are, where you are, mm-hmm. what you do. Okay. Um, who am I? I am Karen J. Revis. I am in New York. I live and work in East Harlem. Not from here. I'm from Washington, D.C., but I've been here over 30 years. So this is home. I am a printmaker by way of painting. So I came here to New York to go to Pratt and I never left. And I studied, they just have a fine arts degree there. So my concentration was in painting. I did take a printmaking class and I did not like it at all. You remember, I think it was litho, which is a difficult one to start with, but also I didn't love the teacher. Mm. So I didn't really respond to the class. And I I seriously just... I wanted to get my grade and just move on. Like it didn't, I'm so surprised that I'm a printmaker now because I hate, I hated it. Um, so I graduated and I was a painter for a while. And then I was gifted a session with a printmaker who kind of worked on the same technique that I did with wax and different things in her printmaking technique. And once I started working with her, I realized that I was a printmaker. Mm. Because when I was a painter, it was more about the process and what I could add to the paint and how I could make the paint different things. 
And so printmaking just satisfied that that itch. So after I graduated, after I, I did the uh, printmaking session, then I just went on kind of a tear to teach myself. Like it never occurred to me to go to grad school. I actually couldn't afford to go to grad school. So I did fellowships and residencies everywhere. And that was the best way to learn because I learned from so many passionate people in the process. And I also learned things when I needed to use them. Mm. Yeah. So we talked a lot, a lot and it was my birthday, right? And we were going to try to do it on my birthday. And I said, I wanted to schedule it later. And I'm saying that because I turned 62. I've never been very into a birthday per se. Like it never really affected me. I like, I never felt an age. Mm. For some reason at 62, I feel not complete, but in my art practice, over the years now, I have this arsenal of um, different techniques that I can fully express myself in this medium. And that only happened over time. And I think I'm just realizing that now, which is is kind of exciting. Yeah, that sounds yeah. like a beautiful place to be in. It really is. Yeah. And yeah. I'm also at a place in my work where... I'm moving into a new technique, kind of a new way of working, which is always so exciting because sometimes I find a way of working and I'll work that way for years. So I think I'm just about to hit that new thing. Oh, did I answer your question? Because Yes, okay. that was very, it was beautiful. Okay, good. That was beautiful. I'm, I'm really interested in this moment. You spoke to it a little bit, but I'm wondering if we could unpack it a little further where you said you'd been a painter and then you were gifted this class in printmaking. And then you said, oh, wait, I'm a printmaker. Mm -hmm. And you said, because you were really interested in process, but was there, you think there was more to it than that? Or what was it kind of about printmaking that you said, oh, wait, this is my home. This is, this is where Karen's supposed to be. I mean, so much again, it's the process. Again, I love the collaboration mm. because I do. I have a press in my studio and I do small things, but I collaborate with master printmakers a lot. So I like that part of it. But I've, I, there's something about putting an image on one surface and then transferring it to another that's exciting and all mm -hmm. the different ways you can change it. The work that I'm working on right now, I came up with this brilliant title for my work or this brilliant name, Revisionary Prince, which is my last name, Reddit. <laughs> but it's also because I really get excited about, well, I have, I have something to say and I see images, historical images that can help me say what I want to say, but I'm revising them. So I'm not just like taking an image and just sticking it on a page. I'm kind of using a lot of images to tell a story. So I'm revising these images as well. And it's a real fun way for me to start because I like right now, I'm working a lot with images of Black Panthers. And so it's like I'm I'm in this wonderful space where I'm hunting for things. So I'm looking for the right picture. I'm working with font in my work right now. Had no idea that fonts came from foundries. Did you know mm. that? No. Yeah, it's interesting. I've got this crazy, I've got a lot of books, but look at this. So oh my I, gosh. I'm, I'm also a shopper. So mm -hmm. this is like shopping. So I'm going through and finding fonts that say what I want to say. And then I get all of these uh, elements and then I put them together but then I have to find the printmaking technique that's going to allow me to get all of these things in one composition. Mm. So that usually means a, there'll be a lot of different techniques in one piece. And I think that's the other thing that, that was the problem solving of printmaking was something that I felt like I could solve, but I couldn't solve in painting. Like it just, mm. and I wasn't as interested in the figure that I would make or the image 
I didn't want to come up with something. I don't know. It just, I was yeah. abstract, first of all, when I was doing painting. And then when I decided I wanted to use figures, I just didn't want to make my own. I just felt like I wanted mm -hmm. to use things that were already made. Because you kind of made that tra transition from abstract to figurative through family photographs. Is that correct? I did. Yes, I did. Yeah. That was my first, that was my first interest was being very excited about these pictures of my great grandmother and my dad's family. And I've learned this new technique that is paper litho. So paper mm. litho is made using a Xerox copy of something and then you cover it with what do you use on plates gum arabic you cover it with gum arabic and then that becomes your plate and it transfers a really beautiful ghostly kind of image and i love that and i felt like that fit so well with the photos that i wanted to use and so that was like the first body of work i did was of my family mm -hmm. photos with photo with paper litho yeah. 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 And so in that time when you, it, did you discover the family photos? Like, did they come to you or were, had they been kind of floating around in your family and you just for a moment decided, wait, I need to use these? I always think it's so interesting in an artist's story when they do make a big aesthetic shift like that, yeah. that then kind of carries them through. While I was a full-time artist, I also had a full-time job. Mm -hmm. And I worked with a gallery who basically was very excited about the work that I was making, but they also wanted me to keep making the same work. Yeah. And I was very excited about it. When I first got into this gallery, which was only like about a year or two after I got out of school, I was just like, what? I got a New York gallery. This is amazing. And it was great until it wasn't. And then I looked up and 10 years I'd been doing the same work. <laughs> 30 by 30 paper, mm -hmm. 20 by 20 image. And then the images were just these like Helen Frankenthaler washes, which again, I was excited and that was what I could handle while I was working. I didn't have a bandwidth to really think of anything else. And then once I quit my job and these pictures just kept appearing, they were always around. Like I didn't find them. Like I grew up with these pictures. I just mm -hmm. felt like I wanted to, I wanted to use images of a black family that were prideful and strong, which is my family. So I mm -hmm. thought that just by showing images of my family, that would be communicated. So that mm. was why I did that. Yeah, yeah. I, I wasn't saying enough with my abstract work. That all makes a lot of sense. And and I think what you were speaking of, of kind of what you had the bandwidth for while you also had a full-time job, that's really significant. Because I think often artists and creative people, they're so hard on themselves. Mm. We're so hard on ourselves where we look at, you know, people who are maybe doing really involved, really complex, really emotionally heavy work while we're working a full-time job. And we're like, why can't I do that? <laughs> you know? True. Yeah. 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 Because so much, so much of the work isn't the actual physical work. Mm -hmm. I mean, like, again, I'm in this creative stage, which I love, which I'm just, I'm taking things in. And that's just the exciting part. But you have to be, you have to have that space in your life to do that and to mm -hmm. hold it. And also the other thing that happens, which I love is my, my, I'm open, like my eyes are open now. So I'm trying to do problem solving in my work and everything I see I, in my head, I'm like, is that it? Is that it? Is it, it? Everywhere. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's, it's a great place to be. And it's also a place where you have to be careful because you're very open. Once I have work made and then it's like wrapping it up and shipping it and stuff like that, I, I, I can shut that door, that creative thing. And I stay away from things that will excite me and make me want to work. And I'll ask them to just hold on inspired by a lot of movies and stuff like that. So I have playlists that I only use when I'm open like this. Oh, wow. Um, so yeah, it's an interesting time. And also with age, I've learned that this is my process. Yeah. I didn't know this 20 years ago. 
Mm-hmm. So I know how my process is and I enjoy like every bit of it. And I'm gentle with myself with, with every bit of it too. That's so important too. I, I love what you're speaking about with that process. I mean, it sounds like you're, you have like a ritual to call in the muses or something like that. I mean, it really sounds like you're in a dance with these creative forces True. and yeah. you you know how to, to, as you said, like invite them or when uh-huh. to say like, my dance card's full right now. <laughs> uh-huh. yeah. yeah, it's true. I do really talk to the work. And then I also have pieces up on the walls that are sketches for things to do at some point. So I can kind of stay in conversation with them that way. Mm. I can't put things away. Like I, I shift what's up on the walls according to what's going on. And then if I get really stuck, then I go to the flat files and I just start looking. I can always find my answer there too. Mm. Yeah. What would you say in your process is a balance between just real intuition mm-hmm. and research? Because it sounds like you've got elements of both in what you mm-hmm. do as a the intellectual looking analytical mm-hmm. and then the like making that comes from Maybe the neck down. I don't know how else to describe it, but Mm -hmm. yeah. So what is, that's a really good question. So I'm going to go back to this like typeset book. Yeah. So I'm working on a a poem. So that's text that's going to be in this piece. And the poem has a certain feel. And so I'm looking through this book to see what hits me is going to convey that feel. Mm. And then I think the, intuitive part comes when I have all of the elements together and then I'm trying to tell the story and figure out compositionally what's the strongest. I think that's when when that happens. But also, this sounds so hokey, but if I listen, if I'm looking for something, like I'll have this little voice that'll say, turn on Seth Meyers. And I'm like, why am I looking at Seth Meyers? And then I'll look and somebody will have a dress on. This actually just happened. This Uh dress on, And just this little lace piece right here was the design that I kind of wanted. And Mm. so I took a screenshot, took that image, and now I'm working with that image. And it was something that I really needed in something. So I I listened to, I don't know, is that, that's intuition, is it? Yeah. Yeah, I definitely think so. And, and you know, I believe that intuition is something that gives us access to all the things we observe we don't know we're observing. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and so your left side of your brain, it's not, not going to be able to tell you how it got there. It's not going to be able to say X, Y, Z, blah, 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 here we go. <laughs> but it's still there. You know, I think it's that it, that really classic image that you see in psychology 101 of the iceberg and it's like this is this is the human mind and just this much is consciousness right and so that's that's a lot of knowing that you need to have other ways of getting to yeah again it's it's taken a while to get there you know it's interesting because I I really see myself through my husband Mm. because he watches we've been together 10 years and he's seen the evolution and the spiraling. And just the other day, I I went to see a friend who's having problems or whatever, and he knows that I'm in this part of my studio. And he was very worried because he knew how open I was. And I I was very surprised. I walked in the door and he was like, are you okay? Because I know you're really open right now. And I thought, this Mm -hmm. is lovely that I have a partner who, you know, kind of understands and also teaches me. I can, you know, see myself through him in mm. some ways, you know, because being an artist is, is kind of weird. And it's kind <laughs> of a, it's like being a, an addict, an addictive kind of thing. Mm. If you think about it, like I, my whole life here in New York, no matter what my financial situations were, I've always had a space to make art. And that's, that's a lot to deal with if you have a partner, I think. Because it's like a third person kind of thing, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'm really glad that you brought that up because 
I feel like, and maybe this is just something I've put on myself and then projected and thought the whole world's doing, but sometimes I feel like there's a, a pressure, particularly for women, to be like, I'm completely independent. Like what I'm doing, I am a rock. I am an island. I am this driving force. My partner doesn't have anything to do with this. Mm-hmm. But really, of course, the person who you're sharing your life with is influencing you, influencing creative practice, influencing, or, and I think this can be positive or negative, right? Influence, mm-hmm. but talking about kind of energies and intuitions and all of that, like this person's physically in your space. They're bringing mm-hmm. their, their energy, their creative inputs. And, and I, I believe that it's really wonderful to be able to embrace that and talk about that in a really realistic way, particularly for younger artists to hear, because when they go out into the world and, and if, if they choose to, or, or, or end up with, with a, a partner of some kind, that is going to affect their work. Yeah. But the narrative, this American individualism, this like, Mm-hmm. Like I'm, I'm a strong, independent person. Like I, it's, mm-hmm. it's not, it doesn't reflect reality in my experience. Yeah. Yeah. I've never dated an artist. Thank God. But, <laughs> thank God. But, but kind of what's funny happening in my household right now is I'm being very secretive about my work. I do a lot of drawing on my iPad and I've also historically I've done it like in bed and on the couch while we're watching TV and my husband sees it and mm. he has opinions and I get all like eh. so <laughs> this time he has no idea what I'm doing and it is making him kind of insane but he's being really good about it <laughs> but so I don't want him to see I don't want anybody to see anything until everything I have to say is out and then if you want to say something then I feel like I'll be steady enough to take it or not, but I'm too fragile right now to have Mm. any input into it. Yeah, absolutely. My, I, I did marry an artist (laughs) and, (laughs) and we have these conversations where if we're going to share something with Mm -hmm. the other person, we'll even say, okay, okay. Before you show that to me, do you want feedback or do you want just over the top affirmation right now. Yes. Yes. <laughs> you know? Yes. Yes. That is a good one. Yes. I've learned that one too. Yes. Yeah. Very helpful. <laughs> and if they say affirmation, you're like, brilliant. Oh, is it's a breathtaking work of staggering genius. <laughs> oh, you know? I love it. Because it was so hard because I get so excited when I'm when some when I see something that I want to share it. But also mm. that what's come with age is nobody sees it but me. At, 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 I know at a certain point nobody sees right, it. Right, right. So when I go and run and show David, look at this font that's going to go in here. And he's just like, I'm like, okay, you don't see it. <laughs> you know, my, my, it's like, mm, I'm trying to show you something. So yeah. nobody gets the excitement. And I do understand to not be disappointed if the reaction is not as exuberant as mine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and that's that's such a vulnerable place. That it early, is. like it's. I think of it as just like these, like truly, like little first buds of spring, right? So hard, really mm-hmm. is. But on the flip side, so I'm with the Black Women of Print. I know you had Deborah mm-hmm. Grayson on because she's yeah, love her. Yeah, yeah. I saw, got to see her at uh, Print Week. That was oh, like so wonderful. lovely because we were did the international print fair. Did you? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I went by the booth a couple times, but I saw her there. Yeah. Oh, cause maybe I would have met you there cause I was there. But the point of that is on the other side, when, when work is made and people see work, I'm still blown away when people are just blown away by my work. Yeah. So the other thing about being with a gallery is you don't really get to connect with the people that buy your work, which right. I think is so important. And during that fair, I had some really big acquisitions from institutions there. But the mm. first piece that I sold, a gentleman wanted a piece of my work. The big pieces were too expensive. So he bought a smaller piece that was in the closet. The way that he hugged me, 
Mm. It was, it made me kind of tearful because he was, and he had a friend with him. His friend was looking at me like, people really see artists in different ways. You know, sometimes it's just like this ah thing. And Mm -hmm. when you're in that setting, you need that. So if you're with a gallery and you never get that, or when you have a, I guess if you have a show at a gallery that way, but every sale, you you don't get that love. Yeah. And I think that's really important. Really important. Yeah. I feel like it's it's a an interesting balance too because that's it for for me. That's a big thing to take on that mm-hmm. emotion, mm-hmm. and and so it's it's wonderful when you receive it, Mm -hmm. but it would almost be overwhelming if every time your work found a collection, like you, I was exposed to that. I don't know if that, does that make sense? Like that kind of level of like, but maybe for other people, it's like just feeding. But I think for me, because I, I, I experience it, it through the podcast. Like sometimes I'll meet people and they will say, your episode of blah, blah, blah got me through the pandemic. Or like after my father died, I listened to this episode and like, it's this huge, emotion. Mm-hmm. And I feel so uh, responsible in those moments because someone is giving me mm-hmm. something that feels so precious, mm-hmm. which is this vulnerability mm-hmm. and this emotional connectivity. And I want to honor it and I want to mm-hmm. do right by it. Oh yeah, And that can be its own, not stress, like that's too strong a word, mm-hmm. but its own intensity that is feeds me at the mm. same time. And it's, I'm up late editing an episode. Mm. I can think like, well, maybe this is the, th- the episode that people really need to hear right now, mm-hmm. you know? So, cause I remember those mm-hmm. moments, but, but there's also that element of, oh, this is, this is a lot and I want to do right by this. Mm-hmm. And it's a big responsibility. It really is. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't know what an art, what, what it meant to be an artist when I decided mm. to be an artist. And I'm always amazed, even even my family, if I see extended family and they know I'm an artist or I meet a friend of theirs, nobody knows what I do. Right. <laughs> you know, I said to somebody recently, how do you think an artist makes money? Mm. <laughs> but like, sell their art? Well, yeah, you can sell your art, but everything that you see is design. Mm. So many different, like art is everywhere. Like why we mm-hmm. think art lives in just galleries or something to me is kind of amazing. And why yeah. people don't see being an, they see being an artist as just this unobtainable thing, but they don't see being right. an artist as a real grounded part of society. Mm-hmm. At, they don't see it as a business. Yes. <laughs> And that, my dear, is what I've learned in the last four years mm-hmm. after being an artist for 30, that I am indeed a business person. Yes. <laughs> didn't occur to me. School didn't tell me that. Yeah. I learned that on my own. So anyway, it would be nice to demystify what an artist yeah. is people. So Absolutely. So, because yeah, because so, you, you mentioned that you, you were working full time and being an artist full time, and then you made this transition where you were making kind of started the the journey that you're on now within your practice and so maybe kind of start with that point in your life where you started to do more art practice and less full-time job okay so it was a struggle in the beginning all I knew again is that I wanted a place to make art And I think the first thing that I did was apply to a lot of group calls, like Mm. group shows. So I did a lot of that. And that is such good practice in getting your resume together, getting your statement together, even just how to pack and store your work. I mean, there's a whole organizational thing that comes with with being an artist. I, I saved a bunch of money and then quit then I was really figuring out my practice and just my studio, the setup, what I was doing. And then I chose to apply to a lot of residencies. I chose, mm. I didn't go to grad school, but I did residencies. And that really helped my practice because 
my residencies and working with master printmakers. Mm. I worked with Kathy Caraccio for years, and I really learned how to set up my studio, how to work in my studio, how to move in my studio. Like, that is really important. That's something, your, your studio is as creative as your art. Even my studio now, I moved into the studio really quickly. I don't know how many years ago. And just recently, I organized it so that it works for me. Mm. And it's so, and now I love being in here because I can just, it just works for me. So I had to learn how to figure out my practice. Then I had to put myself out in the art world. I had to apply for open calls, residencies. When you do residencies, some people don't like to uproot their lives to do them because it's such a change, but I really enjoy it and I try to pick beautiful places. Mm. But there, I also, not only did I learn to concentrate and figure out my practice, there's so many people around that are just willing to share. And printmakers, full stop, just don't want to stop talking about their work. Yeah. So I have learned everything I know from printmakers. They're the ones who have, you know, helped me that now that I know all of these different printmaking techniques, I learned them from them directly. And then also another thing that has helped me is being with the Black Women of Print, like finding your community is really important. Mm -hmm. um, have I, Twice in my life, I've been in really wonderful groups that critique your work. Oh, I was in an uh -huh. all-women's group for... I think maybe about 10 years and we would just meet and talk about our work, meet in each other's studios, talk about our work like once or twice a month. And that was really helpful. Also knowing all of like NIFA, I meet artists a lot that don't know NIFA. Mm -hmm. So if you're listening and you don't know, NewYorkFoundationOfTheArts.org is a huge resource for jobs, for open calls, for grants. As an artist, it's very important to learn how to write about your work. I've juried quite a few things. I've learned so much from that. Mm. I mean, if you're a juror and you have to read 200 proposals, you don't want proposals that where people give their life stories and uh -huh. ramble on and on. You want things to be succinct. You want to follow the directions. Um, and of course, you want your work to be presented very well. So how I made that trans transition from being in a corporate world and having a full-time gig was really taking on the life and understanding what the life of an artist is and, and standing in those shoes. Did you ever apply for grants yourself? And, yeah. and was that a part of this process as well? Yeah, it definitely was. And all of the residencies that you apply for, you usually have to write for them as well. I remember even back in the early days, I took a, a artist statement writing class. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, because it was really helpful. You know, looking back now, I'm like writing an artist statement is so easy. But I think it's all that the mystery that everybody has around artists that you have to be like so educated. You have to talk like, mm. you know, I didn't get my MFA, so I do not speak like a grad student, but I talk from my heart when I talk about my work. And that's what people want to hear. Yeah. You know? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think about I've been to I've been to a lot of artist talks. I think a lot of us have when mm -hmm. we're, we're in this world. And the ones that stayed me stayed with me the most were not the ones where they're referencing Foucault and where they're mm -hmm. talking about theory. And I do like theory, but and I think it can be a, a really important foundation for some some works and some practices. But the ones that I remember the most, it was when they talked about their story, their family, their mm -hmm. emotion, like really brought the human side of things and. I've for a long time had this belief that what art does is it gets into the nonverbal, it gets into the intuitive, it gets mm -hmm. into these things that essays don't, that prose don't. Mm -hmm. And so why do we feel like we have to force mm -hmm. that way of communicating onto artwork in order to give it legitimacy? I think mm -hmm. it's legitimate because it does what essays can't do. That we feel like we have to make 
visual artwork legitimate mm-hmm. by pulling this framework from philosophy and theory and mm-hmm. putting it over it. And I think it undermines mm-hmm. what is really important and beautiful about art is that it gets at a different way of communicating mm-hmm. than words do. And yeah. and poetry lives in the nether round, right? Like right. so poetry can is is kind of like that. But poetry I think is also an intuitive form. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. But also I can't really speak on my work as I'm making it sometimes mm. and all, it, I have to get some distance from it. Yeah, I don't, yeah. And I think I like talking about my work. The older I get, it's easier. Yeah. I'm stuck on the nice. age thing. Just like, Oh, well you just had a birthday. It. Yeah. yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I definitely, it's just funny. Cause I'm like, how did I even get here? How have Mm. I been doing this this long? Why have I been doing this this long? It's crazy. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Totally crazy. But I'm so happy that I've stuck with it this long for sure. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things I really love about this work is that you do get a lot of intergenerational interaction, which I love that so much. And through that, I have gotten to know people and a lot of women in their 60s who are in creative practice that they really are saying this is my best decade yet. I've I've never felt I've never felt more secure in my work. I've never cared less what the haters say. You know, I'm just like so true. Yeah. So true. I put on my Instagram feed for my birthday. What did I put on here? I have to read it. It says Aging is an extraordinary process where you become the person you're supposed to be. Mm, and I, I love it. Yeah, right? Yeah. And so, yeah. 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 I, I just, and it gives, it, it really is something that is so counter to our weird youth-obsessed main narrative. And I, I take so much comfort and I look forward to getting older. And I think in part because of connections I've made through the art world, through the podcast of seeing people who are saying, I'm, I'm 65. I'm in the studio every day. I'm Mm -hmm. doing new things. Mm -hmm. I'm delighting myself. I'm comfortable in myself. Mm -hmm. And I'm just like, yeah, bring that on. (laughs) Can I tell you how my, my my days are now? How it's Yes. (laughs) So three days a week, I live really close to the 92nd Street Y here, which is a a big venue for concerts and lectures, but also has a wonderful gym. Mm. So I, three days a week, I take a aqua aerobics class. Mm -hmm. And then five days a week, I take an Iyengar yoga class. So I do all of these classes in the morning Mm -hmm. until noon. And then I have my lunch and then I come to work. And I work from one to seven every day. Amazing. And two, like the last two years, I had a lot of health stuff, so I couldn't work out. And I had a very different relationship with my body because I was experiencing a lot of pain. Mm. And before that, I was very active into yoga. So now that I'm in this space where I'm open with my work and I'm back to doing yoga, I'm so into like the inside of my body, if that makes any mm-hmm. sense. Like, mm-hmm. You know, I'm very aware of of my posture and how I sit and how I move. And I, I just, I have all these wonderful things to think about right now. And I like yeah. that about work because I can have a lot of wonderful stuff to daydream about. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. And, and it makes sense to me when I've heard, podcasts or listen to books kind of about living long and living well. Mm-hmm. One of the things that always comes up is either never retire mm-hmm. or do something yeah. after you retire. Yes. <laughs> you know? Yes. Yeah, no. So um, my husband just retired and I was worried, but it's funny because we do the whole gym thing together. Nice. It's really fun too. Yeah. But I love, do you do any type of yoga or anything like that? Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
It's so, especially so when I was younger, I did Iyengar years ago. And then when I was younger, I did a lot of the jumping around kind of thing. But now mm-hmm. I'm back to this really simple, quiet, you only do maybe like three poses in an hour and a half class. So it just gives me this time to be really reflective and, and turning in. And my internal life is so rich right now. That it's just, it's the best place. It just, yeah. it just really is. Yeah. And I worry that people don't have, they don't give themselves time for that at all anymore Mm -hmm. because you can get external stimulus constantly Mm -hmm. right now, truly constantly. And not just external stimulus, but like good, interesting external stimulus. There's amazing podcasts out there. Whatever you, you could listen to yoga podcasts and healing childhood trauma podcasts and ghost story podcasts and and then like TikTok algorithm is a genius. And it's just like, here's like puppies, like trying to climb upstairs and here's a great salad recipe. And like, it's just like, you could never be alone in that internal space now. It's true. And it's so, it's so important, I think, for mental health and creative practice. And, and I, I have to force myself to do it. I have to be like, we're walking the dogs. Right. And we are going to be walking the dogs while we're walking the <laughs> exactly. dogs. That's what we're going to be doing. You know? Yes. Yes. It's wonderful. Mm-hmm. And I walk home from the gym. It's about a 15 block walk. And I am aware of, I, I am aware of every mm. step, like how my foot is falling, how my body is moving. You know, it's, it's, it's a wonderful, I don't talk on the phone. I just kind of have that moment. And yeah. I think that's a wonderful prep for me when I come in the studio. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Particularly as we were speaking about earlier, that balance between the analytical and the intuitive. Mm-hmm. And it for me, I'm like, where does the intuitive live? It lives mm-hmm. in the body. Mm-hmm. And it's like, in order to really be in touch with it, you need to make space to understand your body's language. True. And and you can't you can't go from <laughs> just like being like no 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 okay now give me give me the wisdom <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah that's funny mm-hmm. it's true yeah I was curious you mentioned earlier about your process when you mentioned playlists because I feel like music of course is another way to get into body and emotions so I'm glad that you said that because I was going to say, I also have different things that I listen to depending on what I'm doing. Mm. So if I'm carving or doing something, just sitting, trash TV all day long, <laughs> all day. Like talking, reality shows? <laughs> don't judge me. I no, am no a judge. I'm person. Uh-huh, yep. The phenomenon is amazing to me. I cannot look away. I want mm-hmm. to, but I cannot. So I'll watch, I'll watch them. I think I started watching the last time I was carving was just like, what's the one where they're on an Island and they get voted off? Oh, Survivor? Survive. Cause it had mm-hmm. like 40 seasons. Right. <laughs> and and I you have a lot of carving. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's just kind of playing in the background. Okay. So when I'm doing that, that, so when I'm moving around the studio, that's when music or podcasts come into play. And music-wise, it depends on what I'm working on right now. I'm really into Andre 3000 from Outkast. Did this mm-hmm. really beautiful wind instrument album. So I'm, I'm into that because I really like Coltrane, Alice yeah. Coltrane a lot. So I listen to that kind of music when I'm moving around and printing but then there's also a time when I'm just like down with the old school hip-hop and and it's loud so and then it's it's when um, I'm sitting here I have my ear pods on and everything's really here mm. but then when I'm moving around my music's really loud and I'm gives me energy and yeah yeah I know that you'd mentioned in the past that Nina Simone had influenced you does she find her way onto the playlists you know that's funny. I haven't listened to her in a while. She was a re- she was a big part of some of the work that I made before. Mm. But it's funny because I can look at work and know what I was listening to like oh. at that time. Yeah. But yeah, I'm not I'm not really listening to her right now. Yeah. Like, yeah. It sounds like she was 
she was useful for a minute. Yeah. You may yeah. come back. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 I just, uh, I, I, I love Nina Simone. I mean, I kind of like who, who doesn't, right? <laughs> I just went to her hometown. Really? In North Carolina. Uh-huh. I went to her house, which is yeah. a, the tiniest little house and mm-hmm. saw some beautiful murals and everything, but that was really cool. And you've done mural work too, correct? Awesome. I did mural work, but um, I didn't do the painting. So I okay. was, did a collaboration with Colossal Media mm-hmm. and it was a hand-painted um, mural, two of them, one in LA and one here in New York. That was, mm. that was a real fun project. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful. Do you ever get periods of artistic block? Do you never. ever? Never. Because no, I, I, I don't say I wish. Don't. No, 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 no. No, no, no. Touch wood. Touch wood. Yeah. <laughs> if I could have a staff of maybe like five people, mm-hmm. I, they would be busy. That's the impression that I get just as we're talking. I mean, it just sounds like the, the making is just pouring out of you. It When I open the door, it just does. And I can't. And I don't want to stop it. But yeah, yeah. 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 It's fun. It really is. And it's fun mm-hmm. to talk when I'm in this space right now. Sometimes mm. when I'm in the packing up and moving stuff and doing that, it's not as fun. That's mm-hmm. not the fun part of the art job. Yeah. But right now, it's just bliss. Mm. Yeah. I love that. I love that. <laughs> I. It reminds me a little bit of how with my practice with the podcast, this is the most fun part. It's the uh, conversation nice. and the maintaining the website yeah. and the like editing and the getting oh. the graphics together and the researching. Oh. Like that's like, that's like the packing up, right? Right. But, like this is, this is the part that's like the really, the, the sweet notes is really talking to people and, and hearing their stories. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you said that because going back to demystifying an artist, mm. I'm an artist I'm a lawyer. Mm. I'm a publicist. I'm an art handler. What else am I? I'm a, I can build things in my studio. You know, I have, I do everything. Nobody's mm. doing that. You know, I build my website, I maintain my website, all my social media. You have to be able to compartmentalize those things. Yeah. I'm not great with, with Instagram. I'm not great with returning emails and texts. Like I really find it the fact that people can get in touch with you at any time, I find painful. Yeah. <laughs> Won't do it. But when you are running this business, uh, you you have to be organized. Mm-hmm. I have a website. What is it called? I, a, a template art archive, I think it is. And mm-hmm. That has helped me tremendously because now I know where all my work is. I can send out tear sheets and it, it's, it saved my life. Like that one thing, if you make a lot of work, you should have some way to organize and know where your work is and what the prices are and all that stuff. Yeah. That's hugely helpful because now if somebody inquires something of me, because I don't have a staff, I can usually get that, turn that around the same day or the next day. But that's because that took years of being organized to be able to do that. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. That's again, just such a wonderful and important thing for people to hear about being an artist. Cause I've worked in galleries and I've worked with a lot of artists and the stress and anxiety that I've seen with artists who don't have a system mm-hmm. when someone can be their money in hand and saying, Okay, I want this. I want to. I I want to pay your rent for the next three months. You right. know, and they're just like, oh gosh, I, do I still have that, or or is it is it the last impression? And oh shoot, this one actually got shoved in the back of the flat files, and it's bent. And like, do can I reprint it? Where are my plates? You know, exactly. like yeah, you can no. save yourself if you just be a little organized. <laughs> I have now. I'm going to brag. All of the artwork I have. It's all in sleeves and labeled. Amazing. All in flat files. I know where everything is. I mean, and this website, like it has a dent on, you can put all kind of notes in it and everything. So pretty proud of that. 
I can That's turn. The, and then the other thing great. you should have are a number of artist statements, a number of bios, a short bio, a long bio. You have to have headshots. That's the other thing. Because sometimes you'll look and something needs to be turned in like the next day and you're scrambling mm-hmm. around trying to get that stuff together. And it's just so much easier if you are organized. Totally. Yeah. Totally. That reminds me of being married to an artist and being more of a, a curator, art historian, right. podcaster type. <laughs> I'll be on the sofa. This happened just, I think, on Friday night. I'm on the sofa. I'm in my happy place. I'm watching True Detective season one for the 20th time. I'm knitting oh, and and feel this little tap on my shoulder. And it's like, hey, babe, how do you feel about writing an artist statement for a call that closes in two hours. Of course. Of course. Oh, I love that you help him do that. My husband helps too. That's, that's the life of an artist, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And then also I've done really fun things. I've, I've had calls for album covers. Oh, cool. uh, That kind of thing. Again, they'll want it in a minute. You should know not to send your, original works to them, you know, stuff like that. You have to learn how to protect yourself when you're doing yeah. things. But licensing has been a big part of my practice or my business, should I say. So wallpaper. What things do I have? I have wallpaper. Oh, and room and board. I licensed them to to use some of my prints. So those are also different ways that artists can make a living that are out of the box that you just wouldn't think of. I mean, licensing is huge. Yeah, I was going to ask if you could talk about that because I feel like that is something that people really get anxious and confused about. It is pretty scary. I do want to say, back to the Kardashians, the Kardashians Mm -hmm. are who they are because of licensing. That's Mm -hmm. how they started their empire. So they they just got tired of licensing and started doing it on their own because they had enough money. But if somebody wants to license your artwork... You have to be able to read contracts and understand what they're asking of you. Don't accept it. I, you can always change contracts and send it back and forth. I've done that. So if you're timid and thinking, oh my God, they're sending me a contract. Let me just sign it. Don't. Make mm. sure I have other eyes on it. Yeah. The thing that happened for me was I didn't even know that this was a thing. People came to me. They looked me up. So the long and short of it was I was part of the Black Artists and Design Guild when George Floyd was murdered. And then everybody was like scrambling to get Black people on everything. So because we were a collective and you could go to us for many Black folks, we all blew up. So Mm. everybody wanted to have our face different places. And it was overwhelming. So, yeah. So the first contract that I got was the wallpaper one. It was pretty straightforward. The owner sat down and talked um, and went over everything. There are certain terms that you have to kind of learn, too. That was another thing. So I had to go back to the guild, to people who have done this before, and ask them, like, what is this term? What is this term? Right now, I can't think of things, but you you can make a contract however you want. So, like, when I... I've had my art in a couple of movies Mm. in my contract, either if it's an original piece of art, I want the art back. If it's a digital print, I want to, to have evidence that it was destroyed. Like I don't want to make sure that I want to make sure that that art doesn't end somewhere else. Also it was in a TV show and I wanted to make sure that every season they had to renew it. Mm. So it's hard. I can't, I don't know enough about it to actually sit down and and say what you should look for other than feel comfortable about it. And if you have any questions, ask someone about it because contracts are always to protect them and not you. And I've even, I even have contracts written up that I've used and I've collected them over the years of different things that I've done and steal from different ones from things that I, that didn't occur to me. Yeah. I don't know how much help I am with that, but licensing is something people should look into if they want to expand their their practice. And and I think there are legal services that are pro bono for artists. Um, I've used lawyers for the arts before. 
Yeah. Fabulous. Very totally. Helpful. Yeah. So I, and particularly maybe if someone sees their first contract, Mm-hmm. That would be a good place to start. I yeah. Think. yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's that's really helpful because particularly what you were saying about don't just sign it because younger artists and artists who are maybe emerging, I think sometimes there's such a sense of scarcity in the arts where you're like, oh my gosh, someone wants to give me any money. Someone wants to give me exposure. I I can't upset them. I have to immediately jump yeah. into this. And, and there it's is true. that sense of urgency when that's can as yeah can can not be great I think (laughs) yeah so well the first gallery that I was in it was that thing I just got out of school this gallery is interested in me where do I sign yeah and I didn't ask questions for 10 years and I look at it and I think to myself why did I not ask anything of them Mm -hmm. and it wasn't it was it was the right fit for me then but I was smart enough to know that when I changed my work, it wasn't the right place for me and my work, yeah. you know, the new work that was coming up. And that's why I'd left. But they did not have my best interest in mind. Mm. People think I think people think galleries are this like wonderful place that loves artists and want to make their careers be these fabulous things. And that's kind of not it. Different galleries do different things. The the great thing about being in the Black Women of Print is we're all in different stages of our career and we can share different Mm -hmm. information. And one of the members, her gallery has sent her to Cuba to work with a printmaker. Like she's doing all these things. And my gallery, I walked to see, I, I saw them at a print fair and they shooed me away because they were busy selling work. Thank you. Exactly. No. (laughs) Instead of saying this is one of the artists, they were annoyed that I came by. That's awful. And this was when I was much younger again. So I was just, I thought, oh God, I don't want to disturb them. They're doing their work. I think also it was such a toxic relationship and I (laughs) I felt horrible every time I saw them. They said the rudest things to me, but I just thought I was in New York gallery and I'm making it. Mm-hmm. It's not the right thing for me. So yeah. I think when you when you choose a gallery, I think one, you, the first thing is you're going to look at the work that they show. If they have artists that are exactly like you, then that's not the place you want to go. If you think that they have work that's, you know, in the vein of what you're doing, reach out to them. And then if they get back to you, ask questions like how much of a cut are you going to take? Who are you showing my work to? When it goes out, how often is it going out? Are you renting my work? Yeah. You, I had a gallery. I had a gallery that rented work, mm-hmm. and didn't tell me. Yeah, I had a gallery for for the Trump Hotel. They bought one of my prints and copied it, reproduced it like five hundred times, and the and the gallery did not tell me. Mm. That's awful. Isn't it? It's awful on so many levels. <laughs> no. So, so just my advice is, you know, if you're an artist, nobody's looking out for you but you when you're out in the art world. And you really have to be your own advocate and stand up for yourself. Because artists, I mean, galleries are really there. They're a business. They're a store. <laughs> So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Karen, is there anything you'd like to kind of shout out for the future? Anything on the horizon? We'll probably release the episode probably mid-January to give you a little context. But okay. anything you want people to be on the lookout for? Honest, I've, I've said no to everything that has come my way now <laughs> because I'm trying to make new work. Mm-hmm. So check on Instagram, Karen All right. underscore studio, because hopefully by January I'll start posting my new work, but I'm doing nothing right now other than coming to my studio and working. I'm that giving birth wonderful. right now. Yes. <laughs> You're in labor. Don't distract yes. her. She's breathing. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. I love her. Wonderful. 
Yeah, thank you. This has been absolutely delightful. And, and thank you so much for your openness and letting me steal an hour of your time sure. in this creative space. And sure. I just am really excited to share this conversation. There's just so many gems in it. And Oh, good. I hope it's helpful. It's going to be amazing. So thank you so much. Sure. I hope we talk again. If you like today's episode, we have a Patreon. If you go there, you can get bonus content like Shop Talk Shorts with guests from past episodes. But if monetary support isn't in the cards right now, you can leave a review for us on your podcast listening app of choice or visit one of our sponsors. Tell them Hello Print Friend sent you. But the very, very best thing you can do is listen and share with your fellow print friends around the world. And that's our show for this week. Join me again in two weeks' time when my guest will be Kalina Stasiak. We talk about her great-grandmother's quilting, Victorian death rituals, and what we can learn about them in our contemporary grief journeys. Quakers and Shakers, and women of wrestling. You won't want to miss it. This episode, like all episodes, was written and produced by me, Miranda Metcalf, with editing help by Timothy Pauschak and music by Joshua Weber. I'll see you next week.